Blog Talk Radio. Thanks for listening to Tall Radio. Um, gotta get started with the lesson right away. Let's see. This is. Let's see. We have John MacArthur. Uh, and um, it is called Fundamental Attitudes for Spiritual Maturity. You know, it should be told you. We better not rise up and think ourselves equal with God. We better not contest God's wisdom. We better be meek and lowly and humble, whatever God brings into our life. Whatever He brings, we humble ourselves. We accept it from His hand. Welcome to Grace to You Weekend with John MacArthur. I'm your host, Phil Johnson. Today, John begins a study titled A Practical Path to Spiritual Maturity. And as he does, he's going to take an in-depth look at one of Christianity's most important virtues, humility. It characterized Christ, everything he said and did, but that's rarely true for you and me. Fact is, humility may be the hardest virtue to cultivate. So how do you defeat pride and grow in this essential Christian attitude of humility? What are the steps you need to take? You'll get those answers today on Grace to You Weekend. So if you have your Bible, turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, and here's John. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 through 14, compose the final section of this great epistle. And we'll take this section under one heading, Fundamental Attitudes for Spiritual Maturity. Attitude number one. An attitude of submission. An attitude of submission. Spiritual maturity always calls for an attitude of submission. And if you don't have that, not only do you make the ministry difficult, the servant of the Lord sorrowful and grieving, but you will fail to have a cornerstone in your own spiritual life. There's a second attitude that needs consideration that goes right along with the first one that Peter gives us. And that is an attitude of humility. Immediately upon completing his first command, he gives another one. Verse 5, And all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. An attitude of submission is a twin to an attitude of humility. If the attitude of submission attacks self-promoting pride, the attitude of humility attacks self-love. So the matter of spiritual virtue is a matter of humility. The matter of maturity is a matter of humility. And notice how comprehensive He says, you younger men, I'm particularly concerned about you because you have the potential to be unruly. But all of you, notice that in verse 5, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. That, That word clothe is a very, very interesting word. The word literally means in the Greek 
to tie something on yourself with a knot or a bow. Enkambaomai. Now, the word was used of an apron, which you tie on yourself with a knot or a bow. And it had particularly in mind a work apron. In fact, it had the apron that a slave put on in mind. It became the word for putting on humble service. Garment yourself in the one-size-fits-all garment of humble service. Put on the apron of the slave. That's what he's saying. Clothe yourselves with the word humility is the word lowly-mindedness, with an attitude that you are lowly, an attitude that you are not too good to serve. Now, by the way, this is totally foreign in the pagan world. Uh, humility was not a virtue. You know that. Humility was not a virtue in the pagan world, just like it isn't a virtue today. Humble people today, they get mocked and trampled. This is the day of the macho man. It was the same day in Peter's day. Humility was no virtue. Humility was for weak and cowardly people. The only humility they tolerated was the involuntary humility of slavery. And so Peter is saying, you need to put on the garment of a slave and take on a voluntary humility, a lowliness of mind in two directions. Verse 5, first, toward one another. Peter might have been thinking uh, about his Lord. You remember the incident recorded in John 13 where it says that Jesus looked and the disciples' feet were not washed and no one was there to do it. And so he got up and he girded himself and he stooped and washed their filthy feet. This is the Son of God who put that garment that fits all on and tied the knot in the slave's apron and bent down and washed their dirty feet. Peter probably remembered when the Lord put that on and when the Lord did that. And he says, you need to put it on too. You need to clothe yourself with the attitude of a slave, the attitude of a foot washer, the attitude of a servant toward one another. What does that mean, toward other Christians? Philippians chapter 2, he says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. That's the key. You have to see others as more important than you are. That is a challenge. I mean, you just, you battle your fallen flesh and your pride on that one incessantly. To be able to see others as more important than yourselves is a, is a major spiritual victory. But that's what it takes. Don't be selfish. Don't be conceited. With humility of mind, regard others as more important than yourself. Then he says, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but the interests of others. Have the attitude in you which was also in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to say how Christ Jesus was exalted with the Father, stooped, became a servant, and gave himself even in death in order that he might serve us, humbled himself in an amazing, inconceivable way. And that's the hard attitude you need to have. You need to stoop even to serve unworthy sinners. Put on the garment of a slave. Now, to support his exhortation, in verse 5, Peter quotes from the Old Testament. He quotes Proverbs 3.34, which says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is reason to be humble. Why? Because God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. 
By the way, James quotes that same verse, Proverbs 3.34, in James 4.6, says the same thing. God is opposed to the proud, gives grace to the humble. The only difference between this quote and what the Old Testament Greek Septuagint says is the Old Testament uses the word Lord, and Peter substitutes the word God, but both obviously have reference to the same person. That's an Old Testament axiom that must have been very common. Peter used it. James used it. The axiom says... It's wise to clothe yourself with humility toward each other because God will give you grace if you do and God will fight against you if you don't. That's pretty good motivation. God is opposed to the proud. You say, why is he opposed to the proud? Very simply, he hates pride. God hates it. He hates pride. And that couldn't be more explicitly revealed in Scripture. Proverbs 6, 16, there are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to him. He starts off, haughty eyes. This is another word for pride. He hates pride. In Proverbs 8, 13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverted mouth I hate. God gives grace. What does he mean, grace? Blessing. He blesses the life of the humble and he opposes the proud. I see people stumbling around all the time trying to fix up their life, stumbling around trying to find some kind of solution, some kind of fix, some kind of therapy that will work, some kind of counseling that will solve their problems, some kind of book that will deliver them from their supposed dilemma. And the bottom line may be there is no deliverance, my friend, because you are not experiencing the grace of God. You are rather experiencing the opposing hand of God in your life because you are proud. God opposes the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. So Peter starts out then by saying you better be humble toward each other so that you can know the grace of God and not the opposition of God. Then secondly, he says you better be humble not only toward each other but toward God. This is so straightforward. Look at verse 6, and this will open some richness of thought. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. Since God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble, therefore, you better, better humble yourself, and not only toward one another, but under the mighty hand of God. Based on that scriptural truth quoted in verse 5, Peter gives a clear command to humble ourselves under God. We better not rise up and think ourselves equal with God. We better not fight God. We better not contest God's wisdom. We better be meek and lowly and humble. Whatever God brings into our life, whatever He brings, we humble ourselves. We accept it from His hand. The Old Testament has so much to say about this. I feel somewhat pressed. But let me just give you a few scriptures that will open this rich truth. Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what is that? What does the Lord require of you? Listen to this. To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. What does He require? You walk humbly with Him. What does that mean? You walk under His mighty hand. So what does that mean? Well, the mighty hand of God is an Old Testament symbol of God's covering power. 
God's controlling power, God's sovereignty. God is in charge. The mighty hand of God is the hand of God in charge of you. That's what it means. It is the power of God working in the experience of men, always accomplishing His sovereign, loving purpose. The mighty hand of God means different things at different times. Sometimes the mighty hand of God is used to deliver the believer from trouble. Sometimes the mighty hand of God is used to protect the believer through a time of testing. It's a shelter rather than a deliverance. Sometimes the mighty hand of God is used as a chastening hand, bringing blows against the believer. But always it is the sovereign, mighty hand of God, whether for deliverance, for testing, for chastening, always God's mighty hand. So Peter says, look, you just need to humble yourself. Whether the mighty hand of God is there to deliver you, whether the mighty hand of God is there to protect you through testing that seems so difficult, or whether the mighty hand of God is there to, as it were, strike you in chastening, submit yourself, humble yourself. Don't question God. Don't argue with God. Don't debate with God. Humble yourself under His will, under His Word, under His power. You see, this is very direct for these readers. They're under God's hand, and it isn't the hand of deliverance. In some cases, it might be the hand of chastening, but mostly it's the hand of testing. He's covering them, and they're going through this terrible time of testing. And Peter is saying, look, you need to accept that God-controlled experience. You don't need to fight it. You accept the mighty hand of God over you in this time of testing as God puts you through a trial because you know, verse 6, that He may exalt you at the proper time. What's the proper time? His time, not our time. And the way to be able to remain humble under God's hand, what's the way to do that? It's the third attitude, verse 7. Very simple. Casting all your anxiety upon Him because He cares for you. That's the way to be humble. That's the way to remain under it. This is the third attitude, an attitude of trust. Humility, what does it require? Much prayer for the death of pride. Don't ever think you will be easily humbled. It takes much prayer. Secondly, it takes much rejection of praise. Thirdly, it takes much confession of sin. But fourthly, it takes much confidence in a caring God. I can't humble myself under God's pressure if I don't think He cares, but I can if I do. And so Peter says, you have to have an attitude of trust. Trust in what? In His care. So that you cast all your anxiety on Him because you know He cares for you. And so you're able to say, Lord, I, it's difficult and I, I can't handle the trial, but I'm going to give you the whole deal because I know you care for me. The word casting, it's used of throwing something on something. For example, throwing a blanket over a horse. That's how it's used in Luke 19.35. 
throwing a blanket on a, an animal. Peter says, just, just cast it on. Just throw it on him. All your anxiety. What's the anxiety? All of the discontent, discouragement, despair, questioning, wondering, pain, suffering that you're going through. Just give it all to him. Turn it in for trust in the God who really cares about you. Hannah is a great illustration. She didn't have a little boy, and for a Jewish mother not to have a little boy was a, a real problem. So it says in 1 Samuel 1.10, she greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord, and wept bitterly. She was one broken-hearted woman. And God had her at that time under the mighty hand of testing. So she made a vow. She said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor will never come on his head. I'll not only give him back to you, but I'll, 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 I'll take a Nazarite vow for him so that he'll give no attention to his physical looks and he'll devote his whole life to you. And so it came about as she was continuing praying before the Lord that Eli was watching her mouth. As for Hannah... She was speaking in her heart, only her lips were moving, but her voice wasn't heard, so Eli thought she was drunk. And Eli said to her, How long will you make yourself drunk? Put away your wine from you. Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord. I'm a woman oppressed in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink. I poured out my soul before God. I'm under the mighty hand of God, and it's painful, and I'm praying. I've given God my burden. Don't consider your maidservant as a worthless woman. I have spoken until now out of my great concern and provocation. And Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went away and ate. Her face was no longer sad. And God gave her a child. What happened to her? It says in verse 18, She went away and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Why? How was it no longer sad? Nothing had changed, no. But what she done with the burden? Gave it to the Lord. That's the issue. Why? Because he cares for you. There's no doubt in my mind that Peter had in mind Psalm 55:22 when he said that. It says, "Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken." Oh, that's good. He cares for you. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, if he takes care of the lilies of the field, do you think he'll clothe you? If he feeds the birds of the air, do you think he'll feed you? So Peter says, let's get back to basics, folks. Spiritual maturity begins with some fundamentals. An attitude of submission to those in spiritual authority. An attitude of humility toward others, toward God. And an attitude of trust that says, I can humble myself because I'm going to give this whole burden to the God who really cares. Those are the fundamental attitudes that produce spiritual maturity. Without them, it doesn't happen. And there are more. But that's for next time. That's Grace to You Weekend with John MacArthur. Today he showed you how to cultivate humility. The lesson is part of his current study, A Practical Path to Spiritual Maturity. Well, John, today you have a couple of letters with you that are especially appropriate this week as we finish the year and look back at everything God has accomplished 
in 2019 through Grace to You. Both of these letters are good reminders that God's Word and God's Word alone transforms lives. Well, I always love the opportunity to read these letters, and uh, I'm going to do that because uh, I know it's going to be an encouragement to everyone as it is to me. The first letter is from Matthew. He says, uh, thank you for teaching the Bible in such incredible depth. It has helped me so much over the last few months. I'm 16 years old, and this past summer was working at a Bible conference center. While there, a visiting speaker did devotions and Bible study with the staff. He encouraged us to check out Grace to You. I gave it a go. Wow. Your ministry is exactly what I've needed. Until I was told about Grace to You, I wanted in-depth Bible teaching, but I couldn't find any. Your ministry is a very big encouragement to me. Thank you so much. Have a blessed day, Matthew. I love that. That's nice. I love that. Introducing a 16-year-old to the resources of Grace to You. And then another letter from Stephen down in Rockport, Texas. Uh, Dear Grace to You, it's impossible for me to express the depth and breadth of impact your ministry has had on my life. I originally stumbled across John's teaching in 2002 while flipping through radio stations in rural North Carolina. One of the stations was broadcasting a sermon titled, Dealing with Habitual Sin. This teaching was very convicting because I was newly divorced and neck deep in iniquity. During that radio broadcast, there was an offer for a free cassette. I responded to the offer and still have that cassette today. Since that initial encounter, your ministry has become a daily staple in my spiritual diet. Although I am a member of a solid Baptist church in coastal Texas, much of my understanding of the Bible is rooted in the ministry of grace to you. So thank you for all you do. Thank you for diligently striving for accuracy in the teaching of God's Word. Thank you for increasing my knowledge of and faith in Jesus Christ. Respectfully, Stephen. That's good. I have. I still have some treasured cassettes as well. I just don't have anything to play them on anymore. <laughs> that's, you can't play them in a car anymore, that's no. for sure. We're so grateful for listeners like that who support the ministry. Um, th- this is just two, Matthew and Stephen. Really, tens of thousands of people communicate with us and uh, express to us how deeply grateful they are for the Word of God. That doesn't surprise us, because the Word of God is more powerful than any other tool. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. Uh, the, the Word is alive and powerful, and it does its work. So we're not surprised by this, and yet we rejoice in getting the feedback. So get in touch with us. Express your support and what this ministry means to you. Yes, friend, we get letters like that all of the time. The circumstances are different, but every letter has the same theme, the life-altering power of verse-by-verse teaching. And the fact is, broadcasts like today's happen because of people like you, listeners who love God's Word. So if you'd like to partner with us, send a year-end gift when you contact us today. Mail your gift to Grace To You Weekend, Box 4000, Panorama City, California, 91412. Or you can also express your support online at gty.org. Here's our regular address one more time. Box 4000, Panorama City, California, 91412. And our web address, gty.org. Also, if you'd like to review John's current study, A Practical Path to Spiritual Maturity, those messages are available free of charge at our website. I would also encourage you to download the free Grace to You app. It gives you access to any of John's sermons on your smartphone or your tablet. 
And all of those free sermons and a wide range of other free Bible study tools are available at gty.org. That's our website, gty.org. Now for John MacArthur and the entire Grace to You staff, I'm Phil Johnson, encouraging you to come back for our next broadcast. John's going to look at one of the greatest blessings God can give you. See what it is on the next installment of his series, A Practical Path to Spiritual Maturity. Join us next week, the first weekend in the new year, for another 30 minutes of unleashing God's truth one verse at a time on Grace To You Weekend.
step or walk with God and I find GoFish. When I find out more about them, go to GoFishGuys.com. G-O-F-I-S-G, sorry, I'm saying wrong. G-O-F-I-S-H-G-U-I-S dot C-O. GoFishGuys.com. Uh, next, play this. Doom and gloom, or maybe not. This is Ken Ham heading up the ministry that's built a 510 foot long Noah's Ark. It seems every day the news is abuzz with doom and gloom predictions about the environment's future. We hear claims like, we're in the middle of a mass extinction, all the sea ice will soon be gone, and even, we've only got 12 years left. But people have been making these doom and gloom predictions for decades, and they haven't come true. In the 1970s, the concern was global cooling, then it was global warming, and now just climate change. Trends don't always continue. Humans innovate and discover ways to improve things. Rather than buy into every gloomy prediction, we should trust what God said. Seed time and harvest, summer and winter, will continue. Discover more of the truth about climate change and our upcoming national conference on the issue when you visit our website at AnswersRadio.com. Visit us at AnswersRadio.com. Bye. 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 Bye.
Dire warnings too over the top? This is Ken Ham, a founder of the popular magazine for families entitled Answers. News headlines warned climate change resulted in more man-eating tigers. Now, you heard that right, man-eating tigers because of climate change. Many things these days are blamed on climate change. Why the scare tactics? Well, if you have the wrong worldview starting point, you come to the wrong conclusions. You see, many scientists believe the ice cores have recorded thousands of years of the climate, so the small changes we're seeing today must be catastrophic. But the ice layers will lay down rapidly during the ice age, after the global flood. Yes, climates change, but we can trust the creator who designed Earth, our atmosphere and our sun. He says summer and winter won't cease. We're hosting a conference on climate change at the Ark Encounter in Northern Kentucky at Easter time. Discover more when you visit our award-winning website at AnswersRadio.com.
Should we be birth strikers? This is Ken Ham, and we produce the family-friendly Answers Bible Curriculum. There's a growing trend among young people known as birth strikers. Now, these people aren't having children, they say, to save the environment. They point to climate change, pollution, and supposed upcoming food shortages as reasons to avoid having kids. Or should Christians join the birth strikers? Well, in Genesis, God told us to be fruitful and multiply, and he gave that command again after the flood. And he also promised that summer and winter and seed time and harvest wouldn't cease. Yes, we need to care for our environment. God has made us stewards of his creation, but we need to do so properly, understanding God's love for people and his command to multiply. There's so much more to discover about climate change, the Bible, and biblical stewardship at our Easter conference at the Ark Encounter. Visit our website at AnswersRadio.com. Yeah. Soli Deo Gloria. <laughs> it's like deja vu, right? But nobody was asking where I've been Cause Christ in the music is no longer the hot trend Logic says, well maybe I should just stop then But I never got into this for a spot in the top ten I do this for one reason Jesus the true king, son To help God's elect obey Hebrews 3.1 And though the rap world is ever crowded If heaven allows it, I'll keep writing for the 7,000 I know you out there, I still get the emails Against the church of Christ, the gates of hell will never prevail It's founded on the rock, and the gospel never stops So we dropping the topic, whether it's popular or not. Sin is not just toxic and the clock is going to stop. God is not to be boxed with the wrath of God is burning hot. We were locked in sin's closet. Our conflict was cosmic. God plotted to stop and hit the demonic with a shot. I was copping narcotics, agnostic with a plot. No optics for the knowledge of the God who often knocks. He just rocked me with the gospel and it tied me up and knocked. So I hopped in the rocket and met the prophet at the top. Yo, that's just another way of saying I met God in the scriptures. But we just going to let that breathe for a second, you know what I mean? The Bible says he was been forgiven much, loves much. You want to talk about be a little bit. My depravity 
was total, not small like pots. I was chained to sin, I couldn't take off the locks. I thought I was a player, a mask with the flavor. So yeah, I know what the time is, but I ain't bet Isaiah. I would chuckle daily as I paid for disgrace. My eyes were always puffy like I got sprayed with mace. I would toot my horn at parties, and I would do bars. Got so intoxicated, I was ready to do Mars. Notorious for acting pretty silly in my city Philly. Friends hear about it and be like, whoa, did he really? Because I played dirty, Bill Lambeer style. Through great mercy, spirit-filled and dear child. Went from so gritty to headed to a gold city. In Christ I shine, the world's like no biggie. Whatever time to sing, I'm putting faith on the song. 112 displayed in John, the way to respond. When his patience runs out, then it's time for the ride, man. Microwave, wrath of God, fam. That's why, because of Christ, I got mad joy. All I'm saying is I used to be a bad boy. <laughs> but nowadays, I'm regenerated. Born again from above, fam. How else can I say that? Went from various vices to a kid that's married to Christ. Using literary devices to spit it very precise. My conversion to the master was so dramatic. I just wanted to be an ambassador or fanatic. The gospel was my tonic. With Christ, I couldn't lose. But to walk with God like Enoch, I knew I couldn't cruise. This walk is a beast, but nothing's greater than the cross. Saw the mark of the east and the of the laws, while power records were choosing to carry G-Unit, I was on that revolutionary theme music, the brothers from the Lou held it down as well, but we noticed a big shift in 2012, around the time Jackie asked me about Calvinism, Christian hip-hop found a different algorithm, and crossed over, without taking the crossover, made us all sober, years later, is it all over? Trip asked me if I was still motivated, I was quiet, but I wanted to say no, I hate it, cause brothers in your camp causing lots of confusion, I love them as brothers in Christ, but not their conclusions. They want to reach the world by all means. Keep pursuing it. But tell me, why they got to diss the church while they doing it? That's what I wanted to say, but I ain't say it though. But no more laying low. I want them to play it slow. And I ain't dissing them. My prayers are the proof. Like Boaz without Ruth is unity without truth. CHH is like gorillas in the mist. With no brotherly love, it's like Philly don't exist. What's happening here? It's a different atmosphere. Cats appear most concerned about a rap career. Brothers overseas being slain in the Saying while we're vain and I plan taking fame and some fans And I ain't got time to philosophize Satan got a plot device I'm seeing lots of guys apostatize On top of all that, Donald Trump's the president It's all good though, cause Jesus Trump's the president So more than ever, I'm trying to rep the Lord who bled And we ain't never gonna stop, word to Corey Red I'm just trying to give a healthy demonstration Of theocentric music for the selfie generation See the problem is sin, no riddle in it Cause all sin got I in the middle of it We're mad to praise and truly evil We need to be born again Without a Matt Damon movie sequel In the gospel, God addresses our depravity The lamb slain at Calvary The depths of his agony He rose from the grave with abundant grace And when we come in faith He'll bring us up from the sunken place Our sins decrepit depths left the mess No rest was left till Jesus put death to death The beauty of the victory Truly is a mystery The cross of Jesus Christ is at the nucleus of history Before the cross, they were saved on credit After the cross, we've been saved on debit Since our champion in the great war suffered We gon' proclaim his death like the Lord suffer So welcome to the Still Jesus Project Yo, we just getting started and we got a lot left Why is climate anxiety growing? This is Ken Ham with a passion for sharing God's word from the very first verse. Fear, panic and depression. These are some of the symptoms associated with so-called climate anxiety. Apparently many young people are reporting that this is what they're experiencing as they think about the future. They don't want to get jobs, buy houses or have kids because they believe the world is ending. 
But Christians have a different worldview. You see, we understand that ultimately God, not man or natural forces, is in control. And climate change isn't going to destroy the world. Scripture is clear that it'll end in a fiery judgment. We can have hope because of the gospel. Our biggest problem, sin, has been solved by Jesus' death and our future is in the hands of our Savior. Subscribe for free daily email insights from Ken Ham when you visit our website, AnswersRadio.com, and discover the truth about climate change at AnswersRadio.com. Hey, yo, they said it was over, man. They said it was over. But it ain't over. We just getting started. Yo, 7,000, we all at. Let's go! Stand up, stand up. If you truly love the Son of Man, trust. Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive. And his fame is going to spread across the land. What's up? Stand up, stand up. Does anybody love the Son of Man? Trust. Jesus is the King, so his people we will sing. And forever say, worthy is the Lamb. What's up? Surprise, no surprise, I'm back in your section. With Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection. More power than gravity, his knowledge and strategies confound the academy. Bow to his majesty, he paid sin salary, took our blame on Calvary. Those who love his name, spread his fame is the policy. All eyes on the mattress price of his sacrifice. Let's prize our master Christ and rise in the afterlife. What, did we forget about the holiness of God or something? Did we forget that God owes us a rod or something? See the snake bruise when Christ came to save dudes who hate truth. The gospel is not fake news. Our debt is sin, the gospel sweeter than it's ever been. Ain't nothing changed, let us sin, we got the medicine. It's still human emergency, the serpent attack. You think Jesus can't save? That's alternative facts. Stand up, stand up. If you truly love the Son of Man, trust. Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive. And his fame is going to spread across the land. What's up? Stand up, stand up. Does anybody love the Son of Man? Trust. Jesus is the King, so his people we will sing. And forever say, worthy is the Lamb. What's up? Stop and listen to my composition. Lots of rhythm, but not traditional, kind of different. But God's consistent, no contradiction, my proposition. Through crucifixion, he mocked and crippled his opposition. It's not some fiction, I'm spitting, the Son of God is risen. And my incentive for godly living is I'm forgiven. Jesus came to unlock the prison. And through the Spirit, he brings a new birth like an obstetrician. At times I listen, a lot of Christian hip-hop is missing. The proposition is my suspicion, we drop the mission. Not to this, but the Word of God is it not sufficient. The doctrine is that the gospel fixes. Is our shot condition. God the Spirit supplies conviction through proper diction. Against the backdrop of our tradition, the gospel glistens. A squad of Christians go out and witness that God's commission. Cause Jesus Christ got the top position, no competition. Stand up, hands up. If you truly love the Son of Man, trust. Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive. And his fame is going to spread across the land. What's up? Stand up, hands up. Does anybody love the Son of Man? Trust. Jesus is the King, so his people we will sing and forever say worthy is the Lamb. What's up? They want Jesus in the background like elevator music, but we gon' celebrate him, relegate him, we refuse it. They hate Christian hip-hop, I peep myself. They say we're too redundant, well let me repeat myself. What I gotta say almost feels too real to state. 
Sit back and feel the weight of what a real estate. Cause yo, Jesus Christ got me in the real estate. I'm purchased property, I feel like I'm real estate. If the father wasn't gracious, no sin in him. Again, he came straight blameless, no sin in him. Again, nothing's been the same since, no sin in him. Again, fakers lack his fragrance, no sin in him. This is not the picture in a frame to still Jesus. Nah, we serve the rock, the harder than still Jesus. So how are we gonna be silent? Let the world still Jesus. When the world and its trends pass away, it's still Jesus. Stand up, hand up. If you truly love the Son of Man, trust. Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive. And his fame is gonna spread across the land. What's up? Stand up, hand up. Does anybody love the Son of Man? Trust. Jesus is the King, so his people we will sing. And forever say, worthy is the Lamb. What's up? Being a good steward, this is Ken Ham, head of the ministry that built a full-size Noah's Ark south of Cincinnati. Today, many people seem to worship the environment. They believe Mother Nature brought us here, so we need to take care of her and her creatures. They elevate nature above everything, including people. But that isn't the right response. Mother Nature didn't create us. God did. And when God created the first people, Adam and Eve, he commanded them to have dominion over creation. You see, Christians through the ages have agreed this means we're to care for creation, using it for our good and God's glory. It's called stewardship. And humans are made in God's image with a unique value the rest of creation doesn't have. Yes, we care for creation, but we don't worship it. There's so much more to learn about climate change, stewardship, science, and the Bible at AnswersRadio.com. Register for our climate change conference at AnswersRadio.com.
friends. On behalf of all of us at the Tomorrow Clubs, we want to wish you and your family a very Merry Christmas. My name is Paul Marty. My wife, Cindy, and I are the founders of Tomorrow Clubs International. We recently visited several Tomorrow Clubs to connect with some of our leaders and talk with kids who, because of your support, have found hope in Christ. We heard story after story of transformation and redemption. But I want to tell you about one special girl named Verica from a Tomorrow Club in Moldova. Verica came from a very poor family where there was often no money for food. Life had never been easy for her and her three siblings, but at the age of 14, it became a living hell when Verica was raped by her father and became pregnant. Her father was sent to prison. Her mother was forced to work night and day to feed her family, and Verica was left to care for her younger siblings and her newborn baby. They lived in utter shame and isolation, rejected and shunned by the residents of their small village. Due to neglect, the children lagged behind their peers in development, and did poorly in school. Then one day, Verica learned about a tomorrow club where she could bring her siblings to have some fun and maybe even have something to eat. She was amazed when the leaders accepted her unconditionally. She fell in love with the beautiful songs the club leaders taught the kids to sing. She was encouraged by the Bible verses she memorized. She was moved by how the leaders treated each other and the love they showed the kids was also different than what she had experienced in the world. Nobody had ever really cared how she was doing or what she was feeling. The Tomorrow Club leaders became good friends of the family. They faithfully prayed for them and tried to help them in every way they could. Verica regularly attended the club, and as she learned God's word, her faith grew, and her life began to change. The Tomorrow Club leaders had invited Verica and her mother to church, and they finally decided they would go. At that very meeting, they both surrendered their lives to Jesus. And soon after, Verica and her mom were baptized. This young girl's life was completely transformed by God's saving grace. She's now a leader in the Tomorrow Clubs where she found Jesus. She dreams of raising her daughter and siblings for Christ and prays that God would use her story to draw others to him and that the kids she works with would see Christ in her and become his followers. She's even been able to forgive her father and praise for his salvation. Of course, her life is still difficult, raising her daughter and helping her mother provide for the family, but now she has God in her life. She told us, I cannot imagine where I would be if I had not met Christ. My life would be a complete nightmare without him. What an incredible story of redemption. And isn't this what we celebrate at this special time of year? The birth of a Savior who came to redeem the lost and the lowly. So, on behalf of all of us at Tomorrow Clubs, I want to take this opportunity to thank you for your partnership in the gospel, for being part of Verica's story and so many others like it, because it's your help that makes all this possible. Thank you for bringing hope to forsaken places and helping kids learn to follow Jesus. Merry Christmas.
adulttomorrowclubs.org. They help kids around in that area that they mentioned. And they search and should be told right here. All I'm going to do for you is see. I'm playing their song. This is Go Fish with Saved here on Troopy Tori. I have a Bible that I read. I know the truth and I believe. I go to church with my friends. I have a joy that never ends. Not because of anything I've done. There's a reason. It's the only GoFishGuide.com, G-O-F-I-S-H, G-O-I-S dot O-R-G, and now I got, let's see, this is from Living Waters, it says he didn't like what Rachel first saying.
Sunday afternoon having a cigarette when I came up to him, asked him if he'd come on camera. He said he would. He didn't even know what it was about. Introduced myself. He introduced himself. I got back to my bike. By the time I got back to him with my camera and microphone, I'd already forgotten his name. I was embarrassed and apologized. And he couldn't remember my name. And we laughed about that. And he said, you know, you have to say someone's name three times before you remember it. So I said, Tony, Tony, Tony. And he said my name three times. We both laughed. Had a great interview. He wasn't born again, didn't know the Lord, was unsaved, but he was very open. Uh, he actually told me afterwards he carried a Bible in his trunk. And this is John. He was also from a Catholic background, but this interview wasn't so congenial. Do you think there's an afterlife? Uh, yes. Why, why are you so adamant? I'd say it's more not necessarily the concept of heaven and hell. I've been, uh, you would say, flirting about the idea of uh, reincarnation. Are you a well-read person? Are you educated? Uh, I would like to think so, yes. What's the best-selling book of all time? The best-selling book of all time? I, I believe that would be the Bible. The Bible. You sure? I'm pretty sure. You're right. <laughs> so you're familiar with the Bible? Yes. Familiar with its message? Uh, well, the the moral aspect of it, yeah, the morals of it, the values, definitely. You mean the Ten Commandments? Yeah, I, I would say so, yes. You think you're a good person? Uh, I'd like to think so. Okay, I'm going to give you a Bible verse. I'd like to see if you can explain it to me, okay? It's a famous one. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. What does that mean? I believe that is referring to uh, Jesus Christ. That's about Jesus Christ, our Savior, correct? And what's the word save about? Save, I guess, to kind of, uh, to be, well, if I'm not mistaken, he's the one that's kind of uh, forgiven us for our sins or taking the bullet for it, I guess you'd say, sacrificing himself for it. Have you been born again? Uh, yes, when I was younger. How old were you? I was about four. And how did that happen? Oh, my, my mother's Catholic. So, so you, oh, you got baptized. Okay, the, the new birth that Jesus spoke of in John chapter 3 isn't infant baptism. It's something, something different. I'll tell you why. The Bible says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. An infant can't repent because he has no knowledge of sin, unless he's incredibly mature at four. But you're probably the average, in, <laughs> average child and you have an understanding of sin. Why are we on this big all of dirt spinning through space. What's the purpose? I think that really depends on your perspective because for the most part, the most basis is to reproduce and to continue your lineage. Now, that's what we do. But right. what's the purpose of it? Because you're born, you grow up, you get a dog, it dies, grandma dies, right. your parents die, grandpa dies, you're going to die. What's the point? What's the purpose of this? What's the point? What's the purpose? Um, if you're talking about it in a larger sense, I don't really know. What was in the beginning? Do you know? I do not. Now, where are you going when you die? You don't really know what's going to happen after you die. Exactly, yes. Okay, John, you've just told me you don't know where you're coming from, you don't know what you're doing here, and you don't know where you're going. You are lost, as the Bible says. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Do you believe you're in terrible danger? From what? Well, obviously you don't if you're not sure what you're in danger of. So I'm going to try and persuade you you're in terrible danger. Because I'm convinced you're like a man holding a hand grenade with a pin pulled out who doesn't realize it. Do you see yourself as being in terrible danger? 
Not necessarily, no. Do you think you're a good person? I'd like to think so, yeah. Yes. How many lies have you told in your life? A lot. You've stolen something? Yes. You're a lying thief? Not necessarily. So, you're a lying thief? Uh, yeah, I on, on bad days, yes. <laughs> have you ever used God's name in vain? Yes. Can you think of anyone in history who's had their name used as a cuss word? Maybe some of our uh, presidential candidates, I'd say. <laughs> I've never heard that before. But only Jesus Christ has his name used internationally as a, as a cuss word and the name of God. Do you believe God gave you life, Tony? Uh, yes. Are you thankful? Yes. Why have you used his name as a cuss word? Would you use your mother's name as a cuss word? No, I wouldn't. Because that would be dishonoring to her. It would insult her. And when we use God's name in that way, when we blaspheme his name, we show that we're in enmity with the God of the Bible. Maybe not our own image of God. We have this image of God that's kind of nice. But the God of the Bible, the Bible says, actually, we despise. We hate him without cause. And evidence of that is the contempt we have for him by using his name as a cuss word, not giving it due honor. Death sentence, the Old Testament, for blasphemy. And what if I don't believe in Jesus Christ? What if I don't believe in God? Well, have you heard of the saying, ignorance of the law is no excuse? Right. You can go through a town at 80 miles an hour, and when the judge stops you, he says, 30 miles an hour, you say, I didn't see the sign. He says, so what? You're going to jail. Ignorance of the law is no excuse. You are making analogies, because the laws that you provided, say, with the speed limit, right? That is agreed upon laws based on... Common sense. Common sense. Let's say for safety, of course, these are things that we all agree upon. But with religion, it's subjective. What you believe and what that person believes might as well be different. So it's not necessarily something that is absolutely agreed upon by everybody. That law is absolute. It's eternal. It's written in stone by the finger of God, the Ten Commandments. Third commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. It's also written upon your conscience. You know it's wrong to lie, steal, and blaspheme. Because God took the time to write it on your heart. Yes. I always have an issue when people say the absolute truth, the unquestionable, irrefutable, cannot be argued, whatever it may be, right? So I just have a problem with that concept, I guess. Why? Because we have different beliefs, and I well, think that people should respect that. Okay. Is it absolutely always wrong to rape a woman? Of course. I object to that. How can you say it's absolute? Even if society said it's okay, we know it's wrong always to rape a woman. Even if the whole society said, yep, take any woman you want. No, no, we've got a conscience. Seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. And I appreciate your patience, John. And I appreciate the fact that you disagree with me. I mean, that's good. If you don't agree, say so. Jesus said, whoever looks upon a woman to lust for her has committed adultery already with her in his heart. Have you ever looked at a woman with lust? Yes. Have you had sex before marriage? Yes. So, Tony, here's a quick summation of your moral standing before God. I'm not judging you, but you've just told me you're a lying, thieving, blasphemous, fornicating, adulterer at heart. You have to face God on Judgment Day. If he judges you by the Ten Commandments, I've looked at four of them, you're going to be innocent or guilty. Based on, your, uh, based on uh, what you gave me? Most likely guilty. Guilty. Heaven or hell? Be hell. Now, does that concern you? Yes. Do you know what death is? Most people don't know what it is. They say, it's just part of life. We've all got to die. But do you know what the Bible says it is? No. I only know if by my definition is that we're no longer living. Yeah. It's wages. Have you ever heard the Bible verse, the wages of sin is death? 
Yeah, it's uh, Romans 6.23. God pays us in death for our crimes against his law. It's like a judge will pay a heinous criminal who's raped three girls and slit their throat. He'll say, you're getting a death sentence. This is what you've earned. This is what you've deserved. It's your wages. And we are so sinful in God's eyes, he's given us the death sentence, capital punishment. In fact, the Bible says every time we sin, we store up his wrath. His wrath abides on us. We're enemies of God in our mind through wicked works. And we're, we're in terrible, terrible danger. Can you see that? Yes. Now tell me, what did God do so our sins could be washed away? Uh, could be he was crucified. Yeah, Jesus suffered and died on the cross. Now most people know that, as you told me earlier on, but they don't know this aspect. Tony, you and I violated God's law, and Jesus paid the fine. That's what happened on the cross. That's why he called out just before he died, it is finished, which is a strange thing to say when you're dying. It is finished, unless you're the Son of God, Almighty God in human form, paying the price for the sins that you and I have committed. If you're in court and someone pays you fine, the judge can legally let you go. You can say, Tony, you've got a stack of speeding fines. This is very serious, but someone's paid them. You're free to go. And you can do that which is legal and just. And because of the suffering death of the Savior, God can legally dismiss your case, forgive your sins, allow you to live forever, actually commute your death sentence, all because of that suffering death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. You're lost. You're without hope. You're helpless. Death is going to seize upon you one day. And when you face it, you've got no defense other than Jesus Christ. And he wants to save you from that. And he uses human vessels to seek and save that which is lost. And if you repent and trust in him, not confess your sins to a priest, not just be sorry, but repent of your sins, that means to not say, I'm a Christian, but I, uh, I fornicate, lie, steal, look at pornography, and commit adultery. That's a hypocrite. It's a pretender. You want to be genuine in your faith. The Bible says godly sorrow works repentance. In other words, be truly sorry for your sins and let them go. Repent of them. And the second thing you need to do to be saved is trust in Jesus. You know, at the moment, you're like a man on the edge of a plane, 10,000-foot jump, and this is his plan. He's going to try and save himself by flapping his arms. I'm saying to that guy, don't do that. It's not going to work. Trust the parachute. And so don't trust in your goodness to save you. It's not going to work on Judgment Day. You're like everyone else. You've got a multitude of sins. Transfer your trust from yourself to the Savior. Does that make sense? Yes. Very simple thing to do, but the implications are enormous. They're eternal. Either you're trusting in yourself, your own righteousness, or you're trusting in God's mercy, which is alone in Jesus Christ. You going to think about what we talked about? Uh, definitely. Uh, to be honest, that's something that I, I think about on a daily basis. The one thing that really irks me and the one thing that really, uh, how would I say, is my pet peeve is the self-righteousness, the belief that I am following whatever teachings in this certain way, therefore I am correct, you are wrong, and you should do what I'm doing so that you can, you know, for some arbitrary, you'll be saved, whatever, what have you. All right, so go ahead. Yeah, good point. Um, my motive, John, is that I love you. I'm not trying to get you to join my church. I don't want your money. I want to give you money. I want to show you kindness and not leech from you. My motive is that I care about you. You're in great danger. Death is evidence that God is serious about sin. After death or judgment, you're like a man on the edge of a plane 10,000 feet up who doesn't see his need to put on a parachute. We know the best thing I could ever do for that man would be to hang him out the plane by his ankles for two seconds. He'll come in and say, 
give me that parachute. And that's all I'm trying to do is hang you out eternity just for a couple of seconds so you can see it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Well, if God's heard you cry and he wants to take you out of darkness into light, out of death into life, can I pray with you? Would that embarrass you? No, that wouldn't. Father, I pray for Tony. Thank you for his open heart, for his desire to seek you and to find peace with you. And I pray this day he'll see the serious nature of his sins, truly be sorry, truly repent, and pass from death to life because of your wonderful mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me get some literature for you, okay? One minute. Look, I got to go, man. Look, I have One minute, please. One minute. One minute. 30 seconds. Please don't run from the light. Just give this some serious thought. God has no pleasure in your death. He's provided a way to be forgiven and granted everlasting life as a free gift through the death and resurrection of the Savior. What you must do is repent and trust in Him. John, thanks for listening to me. You could have gone away. You gave me an extra 30 seconds, and I greatly appreciate it. Nice to meet you, man. All right, brother. Very nice to meet you. Yankee on friends and the VRBLE. Bye for now.